Is doubt a good thing? God can use it for our good, but is doubt inherently good? Believers sometimes do struggle with doubt, but should we encourage or applaud doubt? And it's a fair question because some Christians seem to encourage and applaud doubt. For some, doubt is fashionable, a badge of authenticity or even intelligence or sophistication. Is it good to doubt the gospel, to be uncertain about God, to be suspicious of the Bible? How should we think about doubt? What should we do if we are uncertain? Now, if we doubt, we certainly shouldn't ignore or suppress it. We shouldn't pretend. We shouldn't avoid asking penetrating questions about our faith. The, the church must be a safe place to confess doubt, wrestle through it, ask penetrating questions, be loved uh, along the way, but that's different than praising uncertainty. One very popular Christian writer who has over 15 million books in print said this, quote, I'm an advocate of doubt because that's why I became a Christian in the first place, unquote. Huh? Uh, Should we be advocates of doubt? Should we attribute our own salvation to doubt? At best, he's confusing. Again, asking penetrating questions about the Christian faith is good if it leads us to greater knowledge and greater certainty in the truth, but doubt can be for some a treadmill that goes nowhere. The author also said this, quote, Where there is certainty, there is no room for faith. Think about that. Where there is certainty, there is no room for faith. That's a misunderstanding of faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Heidelberg Catechism talks about, uh, defines rather, true faith with terms such as sure knowledge and firm confidence. Now, this isn't to say that believers never waver in their faith. They do. They do. But in Scripture, doubt is opposed to faith, and faith is certainty in the truth. Times of doubt, dear ones, do come. So what is our hope in those dark times So here's the point that I'm after this morning. In your times of doubt, Jesus provides you the gospel to allay your doubt and fortify your faith so you can repent, trust, and find assurance and comfort in him. Doubt is unsettling. So Jesus calms and quiets your spirit and relieves you from the burden of doubt by his spirit working faith in your heart by the Spirit, by the gospel. Whenever we struggle with uncertainty, Jesus ministers to us through his word. Psalm 119 is very helpful, giving us phrases uh, like, give me life according to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. 
Now, before we start unpacking Matthew 11, 1 through 6, let me ask, is doubt really opposed to faith? Is it a threat? Should we repent of doubt? Consider the following. In Matthew 14, 31, Peter actually walks out to Jesus in the midst of a storm on top of the water, but he begins to sink. And Jesus takes hold of Peter and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus didn't advocate doubt. He questioned it. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you of no faith. Peter had true faith. But in the danger of the storm, he was distracted from Jesus and he began to doubt. Believers do doubt. But doubting Jesus is not good for the soul. After his resurrection, Jesus showed up in the midst of his disciples, kind of a creepy moment for them. He startled them. They thought he was a spirit. He said, Luke 24, 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus lovingly and gently rebuked them for their doubt and then led them to greater certainty. After gently rebuking them, Jesus went on to allay their doubt, saying, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. He gave them the gospel of his hands and feet to allay their doubt and to strengthen their certainty. And then there's James 1, 5 through 8. James wrote this to believers who had true faith, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." So here, James contrasts faith with doubt. James says that the one who doubts is a double-minded and an unstable man. Is it good for believers to be tossed about in life like this tiny little boat on this raging sea? Is that good? You see, God intends his dear little ones to experience confidence in him. Doubt will sometimes be a struggle for Christians a natural part of the fight of faith. But we are not to make peace with doubt, but rather look to Christ to help us sail the boat through the storm of doubt to dock securely on the beach of assurance and comfort in Christ. The Christian author that I, that I quoted earlier grew up in a fundamentalist church which wounded him very deeply. And they apparently didn't lovingly shepherd him through his doubt. And so now he's an advocate of doubt. But just because a church poorly shepherds someone in their doubt should not make us advocates of doubt. Jude 22, very helpful little phrase that tells a tone of how the church should respond to this. Jude 22 commands Christians and have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. In other words, be tender, be compassionate with those struggling with doubt. Jesus did that. Jesus was very tender and patient with his disciples when they doubted, but 
he gently rebuked them and gave them gospel to carry them through their uncertainty. Even at the very end, when Jesus gave the 11 apostles on the great mountain in Galilee, the great commission, Matthew tells us that they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus loved them so much. And so what did he tell them in response to their doubt? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a kind promise to give to allay their doubt. So then in our times of doubt, Jesus is so very kind to give us, to provide for us this glorious gospel to allay our doubt and to fortify our faith so that we can repent and trust and find assurance and comfort in him. As we continue through Matthew's gospel, we're going to see the hostility against Jesus escalate. Matthew 11.1 1 brings closure to Jesus' second discourse and transitions us along in the narrative. Verse 1 says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Jesus was a teacher and a preacher. Consider this, number one. Jesus came to sinners to preach the gospel for their assurance and comfort. Matthew 5 tells us that Jesus was sending his apostles out to preach the gospel and to heal. And here in verse 1, we're told that Jesus himself went out throughout their cities to teach and to preach the gospel. Now you might remember Matthew 4.17 where Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was a preacher. He was the best preacher. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus called people to believe in him. All right, so the doorbell rings, and you open the door, and it's a plumber. It's a plumber, and you didn't call a plumber. Uh, you wonder why this plumber is standing at the door holding his tools and mysteriously he kindly asks if he can serve you by fixing the leak, the nasty leak that's in your basement for free. It's going to fi fix it for free. Well, what leak? And so you head down into the basement only to notice water is gushing out everywhere. Multiple pipes have burst. The plumber came just in time. Why did Jesus descend from heaven to earth to sinners who were without hope? He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. In Luke 4.43, Jesus explained, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. God sent his only begotten son into this sin-infected world in order to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to sinners. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So here in verse one, we see Jesus fulfilling his mission by seeking out and saving sinners through preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus went out to call people to repentance, to call people to believe in him, and in so doing, he would grant uh, believers true and lasting assurance and comfort. Now, why would he do this? 
And what good would preaching do? Well, first the why. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. God's chosen people, the ones given to Christ to redeem, were lost in their sin and misery, and Jesus felt compassion. Remember Matthew 9, 36 through 38, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And in verse one, we see Jesus, the preeminent laborer, compassionately going into the harvest, teaching and preaching the gospel to harassed and helpless people in order to save them. But what good would preaching do? What good would preaching do? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. God's power is unleashed through the preaching of the gospel. Preaching the gospel, folks, is the hope of mankind. Not another president. Not, not a house or a senate controlled in a certain way. That's not the hope of mankind. Preaching the gospel is the hope of mankind. Jesus went out to teach and to preach the gospel in order to save sinners from their sin, guilt, and misery, and to give them, give them sweet assurance and sweet comfort in him. Now, you might struggle with doubt. It's normal. It's normal. What will help you through that struggle to experience assurance and comfort in Christ? Well, the gospel is the answer. When, when our faith wavers, Jesus provides you and provides me with the gospel in preaching to allay your doubt and fortify your faith so that you can repent and trust and find assurance and comfort in him. Jesus continues to serve us, brothers and sisters, through preaching. You see, hearing the gospel is not simply the means by which we get saved, but is the means by which we grow in faith and persevere in the faith, even if it gets hard. The gospel is essential to our every move, brothers and sisters. Number two, in difficult times, doubt can obscure the gospel and undermine our assurance and comfort. Sometimes in the fall, dark clouds will roll in and will obscure the sun and the temperature drops and the clouds, uh, the cold winds rather, start blowing and if you have to be out in that, it can be very uncomfortable and miserable on those cold days, especially if you add rain into the mix and doubt can be like that. The darkness of doubt can roll in and obscure the light and warmth of the gospel, and when it does, there is a chill in the soul. Doubt undermines the assurance and comfort that are ours in Christ. We second guess, we hesitate, we question whether God is actually good and whether God is actually for us. Those are not fun moments. Look at verses two and three. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John the Baptist was asking that question. Herod the Tetrarch threw him in jail. 
See, Herod wanted his brother's wife. That's a no-no. That's not a good thing. And John spoke out about it and said, no, you can't have her. And John also reproved Herod for his wickedness. And so Herod just locks him up. I'm sure the uh, first century Roman prison was no Hampton Inn. Incarceration does something to a person. It can have serious psychological effects, sometimes panic, rage, anxiety, depression, and more. I should know. I was incarcerated for... No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No incarceration here. I should have been, maybe. That, you might know the name Andrew Brunson. We prayed for him for a while here, maybe years. And, and he's a Presbyterian pastor who ministered in Turkey and was unjustly accused and imprisoned for just over two years, used by Turkey's President um, Erdogan as political bargaining power with the United States and was eventually released And Andrew was a pastor in Turkey for over 20 years, and prison was extremely difficult for that man. In his book, God's Hostage, Andrew shared about a time when they deprived him visitation rights. And so Noreen, his wife, could not come and visit him, and it it, it shattered him. And he wrote this, for a minute, I was just stunned. Then the panic began to build. I tried walking upstairs and sitting on my bunk, but that didn't help. Every breath left my chest feeling tighter. I wanted to run, but there was nowhere to go. I burst out through the door downstairs into the courtyard. I paced the rectangle full of angst. Seven paces, turn. Five paces, turn. Seven paces, turn. And then I stopped. I was facing the wall that towered up so far above me, I could only see a tiny rectangle of sky. I was at the bottom of a pit. Suddenly, the words came up from the deepest, the darkest, the most angry part of me. You've betrayed me. You've turned me over. Why? How could you do this to a son who loves you, a son who has obeyed you? Do you even care? Or have you handed me over and walked away? Did you deceive me? Did you lie to me? And Andrew added this. My tears blinded me. Where are you when I most need you? You have wounded my heart. How can I ever recover? I was having a faith meltdown. Saints, God's beloved children do sometimes have a faith meltdown. We doubt, we question, we get angry, and our Heavenly Father does not forsake us in those moments. He uses those moments, but they are dark moments of the soul, moments of uncertainty, moments of weakness. But the gospel sustains us in the dark nights of the soul. So John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Christ, was incarcerated for righteousness. And while in prison, he heard about the works of the Christ, including his miracles and preaching, and it just didn't add up for him. It didn't add up for John. This was the forerunner of Christ, the bold preacher who said of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This is the one who baptized Jesus, who saw the Holy Spirit descend uh, 
descend from heaven like a dove and, and land and remain on Jesus. This is the prophet who boldly testified, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And now this God-appointed prophet is in prison hearing about the ministry of Jesus from within the prison walls and he's second-guessing. He asked Jesus a surprising question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, are you really the promised Messiah? How could this great prophet, the greatest of men according to Jesus, ask that question? How? Weakness, discouragement, disappointment, doubt. Sometimes even mature Christians doubt what they know to be true and they want assurance and comfort from God. They want God to show up and give them that greater comfort. And so I think several things were going on for John. First, he knew he was God, God's appointed forerunner to the Christ. But there he was in prison facing execution. It didn't make sense. Second, before prison, John preached a strong and public message of repentance and judgment. John preached back in Matthew 3, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Even uh, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing fork and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." But there John was in prison, and Jesus was out there doing works of mercy and compassion and love, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but not bringing the judgment or the kingdom as John expected. One study note said, John is probably concerned because his present imprisonment does not match his understanding of the coming one's arrival, which was to bring blessing on those who repented and judgment on those who did not. Craig Blomberg added, why would one who had promised to free the prisoners not get John out of jail? Most likely, John also wondered why there were no signs of imminent judgment of the wicked that he had predicted. In fact, Jesus' messiahship little resembled the political and military program of liberation many Jews anticipated, unquote. It's easy to doubt the gospel when life doesn't seem to unfold in a way consistent with the gospel. Third, John suffered the stress of prison. Prison is emotionally draining. Now, good scholars like John Calvin and J.C. Ryle think that John was not doubting here that he wasn't doubting, but rather he sent his disciples to Jesus for their benefit, to build up their faith, to encourage them to trust in Christ. And that's possible, maybe even a, a, a secondary purpose, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what's going on here. First, it was John asking the question. He wondered. And second, Jesus responds by saying, go and tell John what you hear and see. Jesus wanted John to hear, to hear for the assurance and comfort of his soul. So let me ask, is it unreasonable to think that John the Baptist, a human being, a true believer, a, a man of God, the great prophet of God, that he would have some uncertainty, some second thoughts 
I don't, I don't think that's unreasonable to believe. John yearned for assurance and comfort from Jesus, and he went to Jesus for the certainty that he sought. And that's what you do when you struggle with doubt. You go to Christ. You expect him to give you what you need to allay your doubt and to fortify your faith. John wavered a bit. John wanted to be absolutely sure. I can relate to John's doubt. Can you relate to John's doubt? Doubt doesn't necessarily mean you have the absence of true faith, but it is a threat to true faith, a temptation, a weakness which undermines assurance and comfort in Christ. So we must fight doubt by going to Jesus, going to the gospel, going to church, going to the Bible with expectation and with confidence that our faithful God who loves us so much will care for us by allaying our doubt with the gospel. We go to Jesus precisely because we need him. We need him to serve us and to help us. So why wouldn't a church be a safe place to confess and work through doubt when the church is a bunch of weak and needy people turning to and depending upon the Lord together? I think we all underestimate the presence and power of Jesus in the local church working to serve and to strengthen us all. I think we underestimate that. Number three, in difficult times, Jesus reminds us of the gospel to refresh our assurance and comfort. There is not a single person here today who does not need to be reminded of the gospel. Not a one. Not only in our doubt, but every single day, we are prone to forget. We are prone to distraction. We are prone to lose heart, to fear, to doubt, to worry, to lose sight of the very thing which brings us assurance and comfort, the life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession, and promise return of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. We're prone to forget. John was suffering in prison. That's hard. John was doubting. That's hard. John needed something to console him. What consolation did Jesus give John? Pardon? Release? Ease? No. John remained in prison until his head was cut off. Did Jesus commend John's doubt? No. No, Jesus gave John the gospel and he gave him a gentle rebuke. Jesus gave John that which would truly assure and comfort his heart. Verses four and five. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. That right there is what Jesus thought would give John the Baptist in prison assurance and comfort. That's gospel. And some Christians today seem more interested in admiring and applauding doubt than they are giving the gospel to overcome doubt for the assurance and comfort of doubters. Jesus gave John the gospel because Jesus knew. He knows that the gospel is the only sufficient means by which doubt is allayed and the soul is assured and comforted. The only means. Jesus took John back to the gospel of the Old Testament, to the promises of the Messiah. John's disciples went to Jesus and they heard and they saw the fulfillment of messianic promises. 
In Luke 7, 21, Luke tells us that when Jesus or John's disciples came to Jesus, it says, in that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. They saw it. They heard it. They saw it. They experienced it. The Messiah had come to bring the kingdom and rescue his people into it, but not in the way that they thought. Just listen to these messianic prophecies from Isaiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. Now, do you understand what Jesus was doing for John? He was reminding John of the gospel from Isaiah in order to refresh John's assurance and comfort in him. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the promised king. Jesus was bringing the kingdom, but only the beginning of it. He's giving a taste of it, but one day he would bring it in full. He would consummate his kingdom. John, in prison, needed Jesus to give him gospel, to allay his doubt, and to fortify his faith so that he could repent and trust and find assurance and comfort in Christ as he approached his execution. When you're in a difficult time of uncertainty, when you're second-guessing the wisdom and the choices and even the goodness of God, what do you think will bring you the assurance and comfort that you desire and that you need to persevere with certainty? And here's where I think many Christians get confused. Stuff starts breaking down. Dots are not connected. They get confused. Quite frankly, many believers don't know the answer. They don't know what to do with doubt. Doubt can confuse and obscure our certainty in Christ. And the answer is not, well, just believe more. Try harder. Believe. Why can't you just believe? That's, that's not the answer. But the answer is similar to that. See, some Christians don't really understand faith, so this throws them off. So they interpret the call to believe as work that they must do. Grit your teeth and work through it. But that's exhausting, that's frustrating, that's ultimately ineffective. We can't just do it, Nike. We can't. So here's the answer. Pay close attention. The gospel allays doubt. The gospel Christ's power in the gospel allays doubt. God works faith in you by his Holy Spirit through the gospel. And as he does, he is loving and aiding you to overcome doubt, to find greater and lasting assurance and comfort in Christ. Allaying doubt, please get this, allaying doubt is God's sovereign work of grace. The answer is the teaching and preaching of the gospel through which God works in his people's hearts and fortifies their faith in times of doubt. That's the answer. It's God's sovereign work. We need to hear gospel teaching. We need to hear gospel preaching. Brothers and sisters, over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
because through teaching and preaching, God is sovereignly working to allay doubt and fortify our faith. Our prayer is constantly, I believe, help my unbelief and doubt. I believe, help my unbelief and doubt. That's, that's just our prayer from our heart. Are, are, are we looking for a better answer? Are we looking for greater and more powerful means by which God is going to serve us? Article 14 of the Canons of Dort, if you haven't read them, take time to read them. They're wonderful. That article is titled, God's Use of Means in Perseverance. What does God use to persevere us in the journey, to preserve us along the way? What, is, what does he do? And this is what it says. And as it has pleased God by the preaching of the gospel to begin this work of grace in us, so he preserves, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation thereon, and by exhortations, threatenings, and promises thereof, and by the use of the sacraments. Word and sacraments, this is very simple. The word and sacraments are the powerful and effective means through which our Lord and Savior, who is faithful, Jesus Christ, allays our doubt, fortifies our faith, and assures and comforts our souls. Heidelberg 65 asks, since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? And the answer that it gives is not you. It's not you. You are not the answer. You trying hard to believe, to somehow muster it up and, and, and be courageous. I'm just going to do this today. I'm going to believe is not the answer. The answer is this. From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. One big problem in the church today is Christians doubting the power, sufficiency, and efficacy of the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. We don't put our confidence in that. Somehow, sometimes we're looking for something else. What do we expect? What has God provided us? We don't value either the word or the sacraments as we should, and we struggle more because we don't. Where does Jesus remind us of the gospel and refresh our assurance and comfort? What does Jesus himself provide for us to address our doubt, gently rebuke our doubt, gently rebuke our doubt, lovingly give us the truth and assure and comfort us in him? What does he provide? He provides the simple means of reading, teaching, and preaching the gospel and the sacraments in the local church. That's what he provides. And it is enough. It baffles me to see how many Christians trivialize God's means of grace and seek something else. It baffles me to see many Christians trivialize word and sacraments ministry and to prioritize many other things above it when it is our Savior's means to allay our doubt, fortify our faith, and to give us assurance and comfort in Christ. Oh, how we need more confidence in God's ordinary means of grace, the word and sacraments. Number four, 
In difficult times, God's grace in the gospel prevents us from falling away. Jesus said, verse six, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Those words were for John, for his disciples, and you and me. Jesus was gently rebuking John's doubt by reminding him of the blessing and assurance and comfort of those who wholly trust in him. You see, those who are offended by Jesus are not blessed by Jesus. Those who are tripped up by Jesus or those who fall away from Jesus on account of Jesus are not blessed by Jesus. There is unfathomable blessedness for those who trust in Christ. Listen, we don't completely understand God's ways. Amen? We're scratching our heads sometimes. And so we we're prone to doubt. Sometimes doubt creeps in. But, but our assumptions about how God should run his universe must be changed and aligned with Scripture. Craig Blomberg says, quote, in beatitude form, Jesus encourages John and everyone else with similar doubts to remain faithful to him no matter what may come, unquote. And you see, the gospel says that when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. Christ will hold me fast. God allays doubt in us. God works faith in us. God sovereignly preserves us. God's grace in the gospel prevents us from being offended by Jesus and falling away. Jesus keeps us, Jesus serves us, Jesus saves us, not just at the beginning, brothers and sisters, but along the hard way of suffering, he is saving you. In John 17, 12, Jesus prayed to his father about his beloved disciples who were there with him, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. John doubted. Oh, but Christ did not lose him. He kept him. We may doubt, but Christ does not lose us, brothers and sisters. He keeps us by his grace. And part of that keeping us by his grace is allaying our doubt and fortifying our faith so that we can repent, trust, and find assurance and comfort in Christ. When you doubt, dear little ones, when those tides, dark clouds roll in, you find in yourself doubting again, find assurance and find comfort in Jesus' words. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a promise. He will raise his own up on the last day. So when you doubt, find assurance and comfort in Jesus' words, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands, including the person themselves. We get confused on that. No one will snatch them out of his hand because Jesus has a sovereign grip on our souls, on us. Never forget, blessed is the one who is not offended by Christ. Christ. 
This message is not a boot to your backside. It's not. Uh, It's not a reprimand for having weak faith. Come on, people. That's not what this is. This message is about God's provision of grace in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the compassion, love, and power of Christ to help us through our doubt. In your times of doubt, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus provides you with all that you need in the gospel to to do what? To allay your doubt and to fortify your faith so that you can do what? So that you can repent and trust and in that obedience, that life of gratitude that you may find assurance and comfort for your soul. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Psalm 119.50.